HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special uh, craft beer brewers conference show in uh, Philly. We're here in May 2016. We've got a great lineup. We got uh, James Ty and Ambassador from New York City. We got some Philly guys and, and our good buddy Michael Roper from Hopleaf. And we're recording here live at the Monks Cafe in Philly. So, Michael, it's it's so great to see you. Uh, we, we've been friends for a long time. And tell us a little bit about about what uh, you know Monks Cafe means to you and how you got started in the industry with a great craft beer bar in Chicago. So we've, we've been around for about 25 years, which I think is about the age of uh, monks. We're kind of uh, both uh, pioneers in doing what we do. Um, I uh, opened with uh, what then was a lot of uh, taps in a neighborhood that didn't have much else in the way of options. Uh, at that time, a lot of taps was eight, uh, and a lot of bottles was 35. Um, we have grown a lot since then. But... Um, I, uh, I always felt that, um, first and foremost, that uh, uh, a great beer bar starts out being a great bar. Uh, there are a lot of bars that have 200 beers on tap, that have huge bottle lists, but they're really not very great places to go. And uh, people don't feel comfortable in them, or they feel intimidated, um, and that's not really what a great tavern is. And I just noticed uh, in the beer Bible here uh, for monks, it says Philly's best bar. It doesn't say Philly's best beer bar. It says Philly's best bar. Because it's really important that a place be convivial and be uh, welcoming and uh, that the staff be great bartenders and great servers uh, no matter what they were serving. Uh, I think that um, the staff here are very knowledgeable. They're uh, very happy to guide you if you are a novice or an expert. Um, but these people are people who would be great no matter where they worked. So they could work in fine dining. They could work uh, in an IHOP, and they would be great servers, great bartenders, uh, great cooks. And uh, I think that that's kind of a universal thing about a great beer bar is that it is a great bar first and foremost. Um, uh, there are a lot of um, places that are um, strictly for the beer nerds, as, as I might call them, and uh, anybody else that walks in the door feels like uh, they want to leave. I'll tell you, this is a great place. I mean, you can see how, hear how lively it is. This is a craft brewers conference, and we've just seen guys. I mean, there's like guys here from Torst and other yeah. half. Other half, St. James Brewery, um, the guys from Beer Advocate. I mean, we were walking through, it's like a, a reunion. You know, it's a great community, and I think Philly is a really good host city for this community because they really understand that that comes, I don't want to say first, obviously quality is first, but that it's a huge component of the beer culture in general. Um, Michael, how would you how would you say that Philly compares to other 
you know, to New York or to Chicago or to some other international cities. I, I really like the fact that there is a concentration of really great places uh, in the center of the city. And uh, I have been walking around. I have. I don't have a car here. I've been walking around. I keep stumbling on one after another place, and uh, they tend to be small. I mean, this is a very old city with a uh, you know a lot of historic buildings. So um, sometimes you'll go to a place that's just too crowded, but there's going to be another great place. You know, maybe on the corner. Uh, I, the fact that places are very compact, though, uh, adds to the convivial nature of the places because you are going to be very close to the people you're uh, sitting with or standing at the bar with, and uh, that builds for conversations, uh, and, and it makes places um, sort of designed for um, friendliness. And I've been, I've been very impressed uh, by... Uh, the number of places that are really good beer bars and uh, really good like taverns, very um, really friendly, friendly special, welcoming places. Special feel here in the city, and, uh, and you brought together a couple guys from the Philly beer scene. Guys, introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Uh, my name is Nicholas Less. Uh, I own uh, two homebrew stores in Philadelphia called Philadelphia Homebrew Outlet. Um, I also do a lot of tap service and building, but uh, I, I've been in the beer scene in Philly for a while, and it, it all pretty much started when I was in college at actually coming to here at the Monk's Cafe and enjoying some of my first craft beers and the muscles, to be honest with you. I, I, the muscles really sold me, and then the craft beer caught up right after that. But it, uh, it just goes to show you like, what, what he's talking about with the, um, the friendliness of the, the staff. Like, that, that really helps you out when trying to learn about beer if you don't know much about beer. And it helps like, push you to lear- want to learn more about it. So, um, so yeah, Philly's a great place for that. Uh, we have new places opening up in all the new neighborhoods you, you a lot. Must, so as, a, as a tap service guy, you must know some of the better beer bar accounts and Philly. Oh, yeah. Why don't you name a few of them? Um, well, it depends on the neighborhood you're in. Uh, if you're in Center City, of course, you got Monks. You have uh, the City Tap House Logan Square, which just opened. Um, you have, uh, what other ones? Like, up in Fishtown, you would have, like, Martha. Uh, you would have um, Barcade, which is good. It has kind of the game aspect, but they have a great beer list there. Um, we also have Memphis Tap Room, uh, Johnny Brenda's, uh, there's, there's just so many to name. <laughs> it's, it's hard to name them all. It goes on and on. <laughs> on, and on. Uh, but those are some of my favorites that I like to visit. Um, and, uh, and like you said, like through the neighborhoods, you, you can really find a place wherever because there is so many in Philadelphia. Nick, tell us about the place that you work at. Oh, uh, so I'm Ross. Uh, and, Nick anyway. and Ross. <laughs> um, Mike. Uh, my name's Ross, and I um, I work for a restaurant group here in Philadelphia called Veg Restaurant Group. We have two locations, Veg, a fine dining restaurant on Locust, and across town we have a little bit more of a casual space space called V Street. Um, and I run the beverage program for both, and I'm the general manager of Veg. Um, I moved to Philadelphia in around 2004, and uh, Monks was definitely one of the first places that my friends brought me to. Uh, it was still very much on on the rise of the Philly beer scene. Um, and what I really loved about this place, and what I continue to love about this place, is that, um, like we were talking about earlier, the staff here is so warm and friendly and knowledgeable, and there's no even hint of pretension anywhere in the building. Uh, everybody is so happy to help you whether you know exactly what you're looking for or have never had anything other than a Bud Light before. Um, they're happy to share their love for beer with you without uh, kind of having the attitude of you should be honored to be here because we know everything about beer and you're going to learn something. Uh, and I feel like that's a little hard to find sometimes. Well, I mean, the, the beer list itself, it's kind of like a beer Bible. It says it's for sale for $3. Yeah, yeah. Michael, if you, op- if you open this beer list, I mean, this is pretty special, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not. Uh, we have a lot of these, maybe almost all of these beers as well. Um, and we have a big draft list. Um, and But we also have, I mean, we have a great wine list and things like that. Not everyone that comes in the door uh, likes beer, uh, but uh, having I think I think having a well curated list is also very important. There are a lot of bars that simply have a lot of beer, and it's not really thought out 
what is special, what is worth having on your list, what is just going to get old in your cooler and be bad six months from now. So we give a lot of thought to what we carry. It looks like just a huge list, but if you look at it closely, and if you look at the list here the same way, you'll see it's been curated. There is um, there's a little bit of personality in this list. Um, it's what it's like what a sommelier does for a restaurant with their wine list. Um, they try to match it with the place, with the food, um, and with their you know customers' whims and also their employees' uh, um, favors. You know they like things like that. So um, I think that it, it's it's really a very impressive list, but it's also a very thoughtful list and. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't mention it before, but one of the other things that I like about about this place is that, uh, like Hopleaf, it's a place that really the only thing to do there is drink, eat, and talk. So we don't have video games, we don't have live music. There's no TV sets, which um, I'm like an evangelist for uh, um, bars taking TVs out of their places. I hate TVs and bars. I hate them. I hate it. It's a time and a place, but not for a place like this. I agree. There's there's actually a uh, uh, something called the Screenless Tavern League, which I'm really, uh, really impressed with. Screenless Tavern League, I love that. Yes. So, you know, places like um, uh, Monks, uh, because of the way that we, uh, you know, places like Hopley and Monks are designed, um, it encourages people to make thoughtful choices on what they're going to drink, Talk to their neighbors about what um, what beer they want, uh, and uh, it you know it's an overall great experience. Oh, that's great, Michael. You know, and you guys, it's like it's so cool being in Philly with you guys, and there's so much going on. It's Craft Brewers Conference. I mean, James, you've, you've been to a few of them before. I mean, what's it like having the Craft Brewers Conference in Philly as opposed to Portland, Oregon, or DC? Well, um, I mean, Jimmy, the the, the cities that you mentioned are you know pretty much aligned in many ways uh, but I think the really like uh, the one discerning factor with Philadelphia is again you know and I think Michael touched upon that too is just the fact that beer it's like good beer is so ingrained into like the, the common sensibility of the average Philadelphia and that's something that really makes it very welcoming and a very uh, would I say a thoughtfully, you know, executed um, venue for for craft brewers conference? Perhaps, you know, but it's it's definitely something where I think it, it's a boon, you know, to be able to walk into a place that already understands it on a very basic level. I don't think I've ever had a, a badly poured beer either, which is nice at a, at a reputable bar. You know, everything has the proper head retention, clean glasses. Um, people take real care to make sure it's presented properly. We came early in February. We were at the, the train station. Yeah, bar. yeah. And you know, what did you say? I said I was, full, I mean, I was floored. The train station bar, I, I forget the name, I'm sure you guys know. What's the bar? At 30th Street. At 30th Street. Bridgewater's. Bridgewater's. And not only was the the bartender incredibly knowledgeable, everything was poured perfectly. It was priced appropriately. The people were exciting. I mean, I, if we could have that in Penn Station, I think I'd do backflips. I was, I was blown away, you know? You took a photo of... Um, your first day here, you took a photo of a, a, a beer store, and you compared the price. Was it Coors versus? Oh yeah, when we got here today, it was just so funny. I'm sure it's a bar everyone knows, but they had big a banner that looked, you know, just like a typical bar, and it was a banner for St. Bernardus Drafts for five twenty-five. You know, and uh, as a New Yorker, I'm like, what? Like I have those beers on draft, but I'm like trying to fill growlers to take home because you know I'm like, give me all of that. It's just so great, and it's it's in, you know I feel like. It's meant intentionally to keep everyone part of this scene welcomed and not feeling outpriced or, or, or you know, not a part of what's going on. It's actually one of the reasons why I never did move to New York, because the prices were so good at beer here. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do you expect to pay for a pint when you go out around here? Like, like we're drinking, um, what are we drinking? We're drinking, I think most of us have Russian River or Lost Abbey, which uh, in New York would be an expensive beer. I have the uh, the Prairie Artisan Funky Gold Simcoe, and um, that is great beer. And honestly, in Philadelphia, our, our average price per pint uh, usually ranges between 6 and $7. Um, a lot of times, uh, something special will come to the city. And it can be pushed upwards towards eight to ten dollars, but that's usually for something very special. So, yeah, I mean, I think the same thing even transfers right into fine dining. Um, uh, most beers at some of the 
pricier restaurants across town are still six, seven dollars a pint, and then usually, uh, you know, there's not as many tap lines in a, in a fine dining restaurant. They're probably you know, constrained to maybe six to eight drafts, um, but they always, you know, most places do also have like a dedicated fun line or two where they have some interesting stuff, and even those you can get some really great, um, even one-off beers that are being poured for you know eight dollars a pop, uh, whether it not be a pint or, or not, but you know, yeah. uh, some really special stuff gets floated through Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, it's it's actually pretty great. The, being able to get access to a lot of good beers, but it, I got to give it up to the bar owners because they really fight hard to get a lot of those beers here. Um, the PLCB is not a fun place to go to and to deal with. Um, we actually have some very strict liquor laws in Pennsylvania, but like the bartender, uh, the bar owners are, and, and ma- uh, like beverage managers are really like fighting to get the beers that they want here, and it's working. Um, we're getting a lot of good stuff. So. You know, it's funny also when we're talking about food, I think that Philly's been ahead of New York and in in, with the idea that beer belongs on a proper dinner table and that it has its, you know, its rightful place next to a really great meal. And the fact that Ross is here, you know, representing fine dining and that, you know, you have things like the veteran groups and, and all of these great restaurants that say, you know, you can intermix wine and beer and all of these things and be fantastic. You know, how, how does the beer program work for you guys at... at uh, um, so, uh, well, to be completely honest, the majority of, of what I sell on the beverage end of things is wine, first and foremost, for sure. Um, but the beer has to be uh, definitely carefully uh, selected. So um, the first thing I think about is really the flavors that we work with in our restaurant and how those are going to pair to it. I tend to lean towards things that are a little bit maybe more sessionable, stuff that's a little bit toned down in alcohol content. Uh, but there's still a wide spectrum in there too. Um, it's can you name a few beers that? You yeah, serve? so it's kind of particularly uh, special for us specifically because we're a vegetable-based uh, restaurant group. So we have to get uh, pretty creative a lot of times with pairings. Uh, some really interesting pairings that I've found uh, specifically uh, root vegetables like big hearty winter root vegetables pair absolutely beautifully with like sour beers Um, uh, gosas and uh, just any kind of sour beer just really works well right now I have uh, we have at veg we have a collaboration between Stillwater and uh, uh, Dugis from Sweden and they're doing their um, Searlite, I believe it's pronounced, uh, which is a Swedish sour ale that's brewed with rhubarb. And uh, I have to say that it, it pairs wow. really wonderfully with things like rutabaga. That sounds amazing. We're taking a short break. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio. All right, special craft brewers conference. I want to call it Craft Beer Week, but we're in Philly, and uh, we're thinking about thinking ahead to beer weeks, but... We're at uh, Monk's Cafe, and it's kind of like the temple of beer here. And, and thanks for helping set this show up. And, uh, you know, Michael Roper from Hop Leaf, I mean, I've, I've known of you for a long time. We, we, we've met a few times. And you know, let's talk more about your place in Chicago and, and what the Chicago beer seems like. Because I remember when I first met you at Hop Leaf, 
there was the map room, a few other places. Tell us what it was like when you first started the hot wheels. So uh, I opened a place in a neighborhood that was a little further uh, from what then were the hip neighborhoods where everybody wanted to open bars and restaurants, and there were no other bars uh, anywhere near us that sold anything other than standard macro beers. Uh, of course, in 1991, 1992, the selection of things that were available uh, was a lot smaller, uh, particularly in the Belgian realm, which we sort of specialized in. Um, the first Belgian draft beer that was available in Chicago was Grimbergen Triple, and so we had it on tap as our first Belgian draft beer. Uh, many of the uh, early uh, craft beers that were available were ones that later failed. We carried New Amsterdam. Uh, we carried uh, some of the local breweries like Chicago Brewing Company, Long Gone, Golden Prairie, Long Gone. Um, and, uh, you know, we also um, were exclusively... Uh, what was not called craft beer, then it was microbreweries and imports. So we were the first bar. In yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was microbreweries and imports, yeah. So People we were still the... say, well, what about microbreweries? Yeah, yeah, well, um, some microbreweries of that day are not so micro anymore, but some <laughs> of those are still making really great beer. Um, I think craft beer is a better term, uh, although it's being challenged as well. Um, I will say that. Um, one of the things that made us unique was that uh, while some other bars carried some better beers, um, no one else was uh, brave enough to take Bud, Miller, Coors, Heineken, all those things, take them off their list. And we, we did that. And it was a little weird at first because people just come in off the street, they see a bar, and they ask for a Bud Light. You say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have Bud Light. Uh, but we do have these other things. Well, uh, maybe I'll have a Miller Lite instead. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't have that either. But, you know, we have Great Lakes Dortmund or Gold or something like that. Um, and, um, you know, but we found that it was remarkably successful very, very quickly. Um, Chicago was definitely behind the curve in having our own uh, homegrown breweries, uh, mostly because um, Mayor Daly was uh, distinctly against um having a, a beer culture in town. Um, he was not a typical Irishman in that way. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he did retard our uh, movement into um, having uh, a great brewing scene. So for a long time, um, we did not have very many homegrown breweries. Well, he, he didn't want any breweries in Chicago? Um, we had a liquor control commission who, he, uh, who was headed by a guy that he appointed who in the 12 years that he was in power, not one tavern license was um, um, was, was, made up, was issued. And uh, 750 taverns were closed. Not one distillery, not one brewery. Uh, and so um, this was something that really affected uh, us and made us way behind where we should have been. It's not so much that way anymore. Uh, we now, in the city limits of Chicago, have 52 working breweries. Um, we have probably another 40 in the suburbs and probably probably at least 20 that will be opening within the next six months. So it is entirely likely that within a year and a half or so we'll have 100 breweries in the city. Um, That's amazing. And I'll tell you, it's amazing that we're here in Philly for a craft brewers conference and we get to hang out with Michael from... Uh, Hop Leaf in Chicago. What are some of the breweries that you really like in Chicago right now? So, um, some of my favorite breweries, uh, Mars Community Brewing uh, is a really great one uh, from the uh, Bridgeport neighborhood on the south side. Uh, near to us, uh, we have an all lager brewery called Metropolitan. Uh, we have um, Spiteful. Um, we have um, a new brewery coming online right now called Dovetail. Um, we have Half Acre, which is in a big growth um, spurt and actually is, is only available in Chicago and Philadelphia. And New York City. No, we just got it. Oh, they're in New York City. No, we just got it. We got them. Uh, our first drop was last month. And I think I got my first keg about two weeks ago Cause, in, in uh, New York City. Uh, Gabriel, the founder, is from Philly, so um, oh, he wanted cool. to make sure that Philly um, got in on it. 
and uh, brotherly love. You see that? It seems like Philly has a lot of. Wait, wait. It sounds like Philly has a lot of beers that we don't get in New York City. Uh, yeah, I feel like there there's definitely, I mean, a lot of, like, connections to Philadelphia of, you know, brewers who, you know, spread out wide. But uh, Half Acre was a great example because I remember when it hit our market, uh, everybody went uh, crazy for Daisy Cutter. And uh, all of a sudden it went away, and I feel like uh, Half Acre very well may have gone through what I feel like a lot of, you know, uh, newer breweries handle go through is that they can't, uh, keep up with demand and they can't expand as rapidly as their demand grows so uh, breweries have to really select their markets uh, really carefully and uh, it's kind of fun to see that some of these really sought after beers keep Philadelphia in their market uh, as far as like a choice of where to sell it's actually uh, it's, it's pretty cool that you mentioned about um, the guy from Half Acre being from Philadelphia. I actually see that a lot from brewers that leave this city because I, I get to know a lot of brewers from being at a homebrew store uh, and go to breweries across the country and then suddenly you start finding their beers back in Philadelphia very quickly. Um, it's something about Philadelphia that people keep in their heart and they know it's the beer city that they were brought up on so they want to bring it back to the city that they came so let's let's all talk about the beers that we're drinking so michael start with the one that you have in glass so um i was here um for a seminar with lauren salazar um so uh i am drinking la folie um which is a fantastic um fooder beer from new belgium um if you know, anybody has a chance to uh, spend some time with Lauren, um, becomes one of her legion of fans. And um, it's a delicious, um, quite sour beer, but it's also refreshing and complex. Um, I, I, it's, it's actually my, the favorite of mine from that brewery. Um, and not always able to get it because it is in fairly limited supply, even though they have 64 fooders. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm drinking. Yeah. Well, speaking of beers you can get in Philadelphia that you cannot get in New York, I'm having Russian River Blind Pig. Love it, love it. And it's, you know, Pliny's great, and I'll probably have that next, and everyone jumps and does backflips for that, but I could drink Blind Pig every single day of the week, and I'm so excited to have a pint of it, which is now empty. Uh, I am having a Lost River uh, Devotion, which uh, appropriately enough was first uh, conceived of for the uh, 10th anniversary of Monk's Cafe. And so it's uh, pretty much a Belgian triple. Um, and so you're talking about a very complex beer, uh, which actually kind of hides a little bit of the alcohol heat. Uh, it's quite delicious. Tell us more about that, the Lost Abbey Devotion and 10 years of Monk's Cafe. Again, we're sorry Tom Peters isn't here. He's, he's not feeling well, but um, you know, this place goes a long way back. There's a Monk's Cafe beer that's made in Belgium. James? Right, exactly. It's, uh, it's pretty much a Flemish red that, that we have uh, that, that, we, that we're thankful for Monk's Cafe for developing. And um, I guess it really speaks to just how ingrained this particular style is in terms of really kind of pushing and advocating for great beer in the United States. And so we really have the Monk's Cafe and Tom Peter to thank for that. So I'm drinking the uh, Prairie Artisan Funk Gold Simcoe, and then I have to switch it up to the Russian River playing the Elder. Um, both the beers are really good. I really, really like the Prairie uh, Artisan. It's kind of um, like a bready, hoppy, refreshing beer. I mean, it, is, it's, it says it, their description is um, more of a dry hop sour ale, but you feel more Brett characteristics than you do the sour side, and it really mixes well with the, the fresh, like, citrusy notes of the Simcoe. Uh, other than that, the Pliny the Elder, everybody knows and loves. Uh, I only get it around this time of the year every year in Philadelphia, which I'm grateful for. And I, I don't have to say much about it. It's just a really great hop beer. Uh, so I don't have a pint in front of me at the very moment. Um, I do have to go right back to work after this. Uh, but earlier I was also having a pint of the Prairie Artisan Funky Gold Simcoe. And uh, if there was one word that Nick could have said for me, it was refreshing. Uh, it very much reminds me almost of like a Basque region cider. Uh, it has very tart, um, high acid to it, and lots of uh, lots of citrus notes going on. So these are great, but where are my Philly beers? I, th I thought I'd, I thought I'd be, be having Philly beers all over the place. What Philly beers should I be drinking 
when, I, when I'm hanging out in Philly this week? Um, for me, uh, so it's actually funny that Tom's not here. Uh, I play in a, uh, a men's ice hockey league in, at UPenn over at the 1929 Arena. Cool. And uh, my team's actually sponsored by Yards. So we are the Yards Brawlers. Uh, which is a wonderful beer, by the way, the Yards Brawler. Uh, I, I had it for lunch. You know, yeah. talking about Philly, Ann and I went to the Reading Terminal for lunch, and there's a little place called Molly's Something, yes. and you can get a beer to go. It was a plastic cup and a straw, and that's what I had. I had the Yards Brawler. I walked around and ate my samosa. and yeah. Um, a couple other uh, really, really local, actually, so local that they just opened up this year. Uh, one would be Second Story Brewing over in Old City. Um, John Weibel used to be a customer of mine as a home brewer and now has a, a great brew pub down on 2nd Street, 2nd uh, and Chestnut. Uh, he does all sorts of great beers. Um, a couple of the, the ones on my list are the Fritzy Lager, which is a Vienna-style lager. Um, I'm just a sucker for German-style Vienna lagers, and uh, that one hits the spot. Uh, another one is uh, the Ad Saltum, which is their triple IPA. Uh, great hot beer. Um, it just kind of falls in line with that East Coast murky, really citrusy hot beer, which is really great. And then another brewery that just opened up their tap room, which is uh, St. Benjamin's uh, up in old um, my part of town, up in like uh, South Kensington area. Uh, they just opened up their tap room. They started off as like a three-barrel brewery system. Now they're moving up to, I think, a 10-barrel, I believe. But uh, they've been pulling out some really good stuff. And I've, it's been great watching them grow from their beers being not so great to now they're really good. So it's just been a great learning experience with them. And, and uh, Michael, what, what, what Philly beers do you like to drink when you come here? Well, you know, this is actually my first trip to Philly. So uh, I am uh, a, a definite novice in uh, about Philly beer, and I, I have been drinking a lot of stuff that's not local. Um, actually, um, since we don't get Russian River in Chicago either, um, I have been enjoying that, um, and uh, I, I, I think I need to perhaps dive into uh, some more Philly beer. I was in... Uh, there's a bar called Fulton Porter here that has a lot of uh, local stuff. Fountain Porter, sorry, Fountain Porter. Um, uh, they uh, had a really interesting uh, uh, curated uh, local beer list, and um, pretty much to the exclusion of almost everything else, uh, except for Half Acre. Uh, they, they, um, they're very good friends with the folks at Half Acre, so they they um, definitely had more local stuff. But um, I'm I'm probably not ready to answer that question yet because I'm too much of a Philly beer novice still. I have uh, I have one suggestion for you. Um, an ultra local Philadelphia place was just opened, Martha. Uh, not only do they specialize in local beers, but they also specialize in local craft spirits. So you can really get the best of both worlds. Um, it's up in the Fishtown area, but I definitely recommend stopping by there. Uh, yeah, so talking about local craft spirits and, and what we were talking about earlier for Chicago in having really interesting liquor laws, um, it's, it's good to know that uh, Pennsylvania has one of the most antiquated liquor uh, law systems in the country. Uh, it's completely uh, controlled by the state, with the exception of beer now. And that actually happened by way of, you know, like Nick was saying, uh, beverage managers and bar owners lobbying against Harrisburg and the state to open it up. And now we have uh, beer distribution, and that's how we're able to get uh, lower prices on beer. And we're, you know, uh, Steve Wildey, who was supposed to actually be here today uh, from the Vetri Group, is fighting that same fight now for uh, liquor and wine. And uh, what Martha is doing and what a lot of people are catching on to is that there are actually incentives. One of the, the kind of silver linings of our old liquor laws is that if you're distilling if you're distilling alcohol here in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania, you're actually to sell, able to sell direct to accounts. So you have a, a little bit of an influx of uh, small distilleries opening that are selling their product directly to restaurants and directly to bars and are uh, really starting a whole new thing of just kind of local distilleries, which is awesome. Great. All right, man, we're off to a good start. We're here in Philly. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. It's our special Philadelphia Craft Brewers Conference show live from Monk's Cafe. Michael Roper from Hopleaf in Chicago. It's funny, you're from Hopleaf in Chicago, your first visit here. What yes. brought you to, to Philly? Well, uh, I actually am not going into the hall for anything uh, official. I came here just to um, socialize because this is an incredible opportunity. Literally everybody in the business is here. And uh, every bar that you go to, I mean, I went down to the Italian market today uh, to get a Philly cheesesteak. And, um, you know, there were so many people there with their lanyards from the, you know, that came from the convention. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's great because uh, I can start a conversation with somebody who sells craft beer in Pittsburgh or San Diego, somebody that's opened a new brewery in Colorado. Uh, There's 12,000 people in my business here. Where else can that happen? Uh, And the fact that uh, Philadelphia is such a nice, compact, easily manageable city uh, makes it really easy to... um, see a lot of people, chat with a lot of people, uh, talk about, you know, our common uh, problems, our common, uh, you know, the, the good things that are happening in the business, uh, and uh, so I think it's really valuable to be here. And we were talking about uh, different things in Pennsylvania and, and Chicago laws about liquor and everything else. Yeah, uh, I think that one of the questions I wanted to know about uh, Pennsylvania because it's an issue that is um, gaining a lot of traction in, um, in Illinois, is uh, very small breweries. that um, We have breweries that are essentially community breweries, and um, they don't want to, and in many cases, economically, it does not make sense to go with a distributor. They want to directly sell to taverns. And uh, that has been illegal for a long time. Now they, they do allow it. Uh, up to 2,000 barrels a year, uh, and then at that point you must uh, join the three-tier system. And um, so that's been a big step forward. We're also um, uh, fighting a a fight about growler fills. Right now, growler fills in in Illinois uh, can only happen uh, in a site where that particular beer was brewed. So... uh, uh, a bar like mine, a grocery store, um, uh, cannot sell anything that is not brewed under that roof. And what so, about in Pennsylvania, guys? So in Pennsylvania, I think that uh, we have really great laws for beer specifically. Um, we do have breweries that are able to, as long as they're within a certain production, sell directly to and have their own distribution, sell directly to um, accounts in their market. Um, it is definitely a different song for wine and liquor, which is completely state regulated. Um, but hopefully that's changing as well. Um, but we are able to do like the kind of growler thing. Uh, bars bars have that within their license. It's a little bit more restrictive with wine. It's, a, it, it's amazing state to state just how, how different the laws are. Yeah, I, I'm wondering. Now, there, I have to say, though, that sometimes uh, some very small brewers are not very good uh, at distributing their product. They're, you know, a, a good distributor actually uh, is a valuable asset. And sometimes, uh, you know, we there's a nice brewery called Pipeworks in Chicago. We like to carry their beer, but um, you know, it's it's very difficult to deal with them. Uh, you know, they have to have somebody who's really not a driver uh, drive the beer, and then he you know might show up without a fork. You know, he, he doesn't have doesn't have a hand truck. And, uh, uh, so um, I think that at a certain point, when you do get to a certain size, it definitely behooves you to find a quality distributor, which in some markets is a little hard because the, there's a Bud distributor and a Miller distributor. Uh, we're lucky we have uh, some independent distributors that only carry craft beer. It uh, wasn't always the case, but in many markets um, it is still the case that uh, a craft beer has to um, either go with the Bud distributor or Miller distributor, who may or may not do a very good job uh, handling their product. Yeah, I'm just curious, um, you know, as this beer scene develops and it's getting more and more saturated, you know, I think there's record numbers of breweries opening, right? So you have to kind of think, are you insane? But it's also really great. So Nick, you probably see better than anyone 
you know, as a homebrew shop owner, how many people are getting into it themselves and who or how many, what percentage, or are there any specific standouts that have been your customers that are now kind of took the leap to the big time? Um, there's always a, a great amount of, of customers that are trying to leap to the big time. And, um, and to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of like the homebrewer's dream. Everybody starts off brewing some beer. They get really good feedback from their friends, and they want to take it to the next level. And so they, they start buying more equipment and start doing more things. And then they get to kind of a level where they kind of see the actual financial needs, like what it takes to open a brewery, and that kind of makes them step back. But um, in Philadelphia now, it's, it's actually an interesting thing that's kind of going through our store, and my one of my employees is involved in it. They're trying to do like a co-op brewery type thing where they can get people to buy into a share to have the equipment and brew and then sell under that label and then when they're ready jump out and then somebody else will jump in so i'm hoping to see more of that come up um it'll be very interesting if it does but yeah we see we do see a lot of like people a lot of passion for beer in this city for from the the starting to the end point that's it i'm smiling i love this town we're in a packed bar and a a postman, United States mail postman came in with a, a nice safari hat delivering the mail in the middle of the afternoon. This is like kind of Philly character, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have postmen like any other city. Well, actually, no, it's, uh, it actually is kind of cool with like the history and everything in Philadelphia. I, I actually live in Old City, and um, I just moved to Old City for the first time maybe. It, so the whole 11 or 12 years I've lived here, I've lived up where Nick lives in uh, Kensington and uh, it's the first time I'm living in Center City and they've actually the, the post office in, in Old City is meant to replicate or be intact of the way it was when uh, Benjamin Franklin was the postmaster um, so there are no computers in there it is like stepping into the 1910s and it's, uh, it's very cool so when, when we visit Philly we should go there and buy stamps yeah go buy stamps at the US post office uh, between 2nd and 3rd on Market Street. It's like the original post office of America. (laughs) Well, Michael, since we know it's your first time in Philly, let's get some more, uh, you know, what are your plans? Insights. What do you have to see? What are the must do? You know, I, I, I have to say I'm not doing much in the way of historical sites. Uh, I did see the art museum because um, they had the uh, welcome uh, event for the Craft Brewers Conference was there, and it was very impressive. I was surprised that they opened so many of the art galleries to a bunch of people who had been drinking all day. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, absolutely priceless art and a lot of kind of drunken guys. Uh, not well, they all have their Visa cards, and so it's priceless. You know? <laughs> yeah. And James, what about you? So, you know, you're here in Philly, and yeah. what are some of the highlights for you? Well, I mean, just being here is always just a, it's a privilege to come to Philadelphia. Um, just, uh, just bottom line, just a great scene as a Chicago. And I kind of want to tie it back because, you know, just hearing everything that's going on in terms of state regulations, you know, Philadelphia and Illinois seem to have, like, a lot of, a lot of things going against it. But, you know, now that there's such an explosion... And I, I guess this question is more towards uh, Mike. Is you know, you're you're when we talk about the hop leaf, you know, we talk about longevity in terms of decades, you know, for you. And so the question is, with everything that's going on, and you have like a lot of the new establishments coming up. You know, off the top of my head, I think of the Fountainhead. You know, I think of Martha's. You know, the South Side. It's it's still one of those things where you know, if I'm a beer drinker, one of the first stops, one of the very first stops I want to go to is in Chicago is the hop leaf. So. Maybe words of wisdom as to how you're able to kind of like keep on top of the game. Well, a lot of it is that I think us in the map room are sort of the, uh, we're the uh, grandparents of the uh, craft beer bar scene in town. And uh, I think uh, we stay relevant because we are very personally run places. Um, you know, I, I run my bar. Uh, a lot of the new places are owned by sort of investment groups or they're parts of restaurant chains. And if you go in there and ask, like, you know, is the owner around? Uh, nobody in the, none of the staff even know who the owner is. Um, so, um, so I still make choices as to what we're going to carry, when we're going to tap it, uh, you know, special events that we do, beer dinners, whatever. Uh, these are things that I make a choice. So, Michael, what's on tap this week? A couple items, and now you have a big tap list. So, um, you know, uh, we have um, a lot. Uh, we always have like 16 or 17 uh, 
beers brewed in Belgium. We try to have about a dozen uh, local beers uh, on tap. And then 68. 68. So, um, you know, uh, right now, um, our our best selling brewery, the brewery that we sell more of than anything else, is Three Floyds. Uh, Three Floyds is definitely on a on a roll, uh, and uh, you know, uh, the last two or three years, uh, we're the only bar in Chicago that always has zombie dust on tap, uh, which is. Um, you know, when you have 68 draft lines, usually a successful beer is one that you sell a half barrel or two half barrels a week. We sell 10 half barrels of that oh one goodness. beer, even though we have 68 draft lines. So, um, you know, that it is kind of an amazing, uh, a really amazing thing. Uh, we have a beer that we uh, we actually uh, took part in uh, developing the recipe for uh, at Perennial in St. Louis. Um, so... Um, a couple of uh, my employees uh, went up there and worked uh, with Phil at um, uh, at Perennial, and we came up with a uh, a sour beer um, that has a blend of seven teas. So it's called uh, Tart Hopfen Tea, and uh, it was something that we we worked on three years ago, and it was supposed to be a one-off thing. There was supposed to be ten barrels of it and we would never see it again. It was so successful, not just for us, but the, in their brew pub, that they put it on their schedule, and now they even bottle it. Um, I'm very proud that they even put the Hop Leaf logo on the bottle. Um, so this is the third batch that just was released, and it is definitely the best yet. They keep dialing it in. Um, you know, We don't really have anything to do now with how they're tweaking it. You know, We came up with the original concept, and some of the ingredients and stuff, but then now they are taking our idea. I mean, they are professional brewers. They know what they're doing, and they're making that beer absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. I mean, we came to Philly, and we're talking to Michael from Hopleaf, and uh, wow. Ian, great job putting the show together. What are you thinking? Well, I'm, I'm just like, just like he said, it's just great. It's nice to be here. It's nice to hang out with these guys. It's nice to kind of get a glimpse. And, of course, as New Yorkers, you always go to a city and you're like, how much is your rent? I could totally live here. Wait a minute. What do you do? Where is it? You know, and I think a lot of us right now visiting are thinking that those wheels are turning because it's pretty great. I know. <laughs> what would you say, guys? Uh, the, the, the cost of living in Philadelphia is, is pretty low, uh, to be honest. Uh, visiting friends in New York and even Chicago and this just uh, Philly is is quite uh, you know an interesting place to live. Uh, it's very welcoming. I actually do. I do have to add uh, to Michael. Um, I actually did a ride across America last year. Uh, we called it Road Rash, Saddle Ass, and Beer Breath. We're coming out of the movie, but Hop Leaf was the first bar I stopped in in Chicago. And, uh, cool. That's awesome. And so, give us a quick preview of uh, Philly Beer Week. You know, what are some of the things that if we're coming back for that, what should we do? Uh, for Philly Beer Week, I mean, honestly, honestly, get on the Philly Beer Week website. Um, check out uh, all the events that go on. There's always so many events that go on. Uh, unfortunately, this year, our National Homebrew Convention is in Baltimore. So the last weekend, there's not going to be much for homebrewers. But during the first weekend, look out for some homebrew events because there's, there's a bunch of them to come up, and they're really good. You can see some homebrewers that you never know will eventually probably become the brewers that make the beer that you love to drink. So uh, just keep your eye out on, uh, on their website and um, check out all the events. There's just so many of them going on. There's, there's, there's always hard to say which one's the best because you can never know until beer week comes. All right, guys, and uh, let, let's wrap it up. Michael, anything else you want to say about uh, being in Philly and at Monk's Cafe? Well, um, I, I love it here. Uh, this was my uh, this is my third visit to Monk's since I've been here uh, Monday. So uh, I guess you're I, an expert already. I guess they won me over. Did you have the kid the kidneys yet? I did not have kidneys. I did have muscles uh, the first day I was here. Uh, it's sort of a you know I have to I have to try them to see how they stacked up. They stacked up very well with ours. Uh, and uh, but mostly I've been just drinking and chatting with folks. Um, it's it's a great bar. Uh, I, I, this would be a great bar anytime, but obviously this is a special time because of everybody in our special industry is is here. Yeah, one last just to get my little plug in. You know, between talking to Michael about Hopleaf, being here at Monks, it makes me even more excited to go back and, and have my shift at Blind Tiger. You know, it's kind of like 
bringing that all together and I feel so like happy I don't work there often but I just have such a special place in my heart for it and it, it gets me more even pumped to go home and, and get behind the bar so what up <laughs> just a great beer you know a fantastic community and it's just like a again it's like a privilege to be a part of that this week uh close the same as i i guess um thanks for having me here it's, it's been a great great discussing a lot of things with a lot of great people uh you know the beer industry's great everybody loves beer so there's no other place i'd rather be yeah thanks for having me as well i'm happy to give you guys a glimpse into fine dining aspects of uh, Philadelphia beer scene. It's really fun. Again, so once again, just say your names and and the place you work at, and we'll wrap it up. Yeah, uh, I'm Ross Malouf. I am the general manager of Veg Restaurant and also run the beverage program for our company, which also has V Street across town in Rittenhouse Square, a little bit more of a casual space. I'm uh, Nicholas Lust from Philly Homebrew Outlet. I also do Philly tap services where I do installs and cleaning of bars. James Ty, beer educator out of New York City. And Becerra, all the good beer stuff. <laughs> and Michael Roper from the Hop Leaf in Chicago. Well, thanks for having you guys. It's a special. We're here for, I'm here for the whole day in Philly for Craft Brewers Conference. Did a different show earlier. And uh, now we're going to go on to Devil's Den for a, a beer bar owner's meetup. I'm and uh, we might find some cool things. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Woo. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.